0: Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is George Holmes, CEO of Resonant, Inc. Welcome, George.
1: Hey, thanks, Jeff.
0: Hey, um, glad you could join us. So, so George, you were on about a year ago, um, but before we go in, and get an update, can you just give us a brief overview for those that aren't familiar with Resonant?
1: Yeah, the quick and dirty on Resonant is we are... Uh, Uh, IT licensing company uh, focused on their RF mobile handset space, Um, you know, fast-growing market, large market, and one in which we are doing designs for some of the biggest companies in the space where we can deliver to them technology they couldn't do themselves. And we leverage our internal software and our large IP portfolio to create cutting-edge designs. And now we're focused solely on the problems of 5G. So it's an exciting time to be at ResNet, for sure.
0: So, so RF in layman's terms is, is what?
1: It's radio frequency. This is, you know, if we, you know RF is how uh, radio signals are delivered to your handset. So uh, as we sit back and kind of look at what uh, filters do, um, you kind of think about it as, you know, lanes on a highway. You've got a lot of radio signals that are coming to your phone, whether it be the multitude of different GPS signals, your Bluetooth signals, your Wi-Fi signals, the litany of cellular signals that come to your phone. It's the filter's job to make sure that those signals go to the right place in the phone, and then you get the right kind of performance that you're expecting. Little grains of sand that do a pretty complicated uh, complicated job, but really are what provide the user experience that we all have, been, have come known to expect.
0: So it sounds like you're addressing a pretty large market. Where do you fit into that landscape?
1: You know, we are, um, I, I like to say, we're a provider of technology to all. Um, you know, that's, a, that's our mission uh, from a go-to-market perspective. But the interesting thing about this market is there are seven companies that represent 98% of the total market. So a small handful of players dominate the market. And it's a you know fifteen billion dollar market going to twenty five billion over the next three to five years, largely driven by consumers' thirst for data um, It's really going to be enabled from a capability perspective by 5 g but at the end of the day you know we're we're going to be building on the the anchor platform of two g three g and 4 g um and and using those as stepping off points to new applications that will be enabled through these very wide pipes that are delivered in the 5G uh, implementations.
0: And when you win business, is, is it on price or design, or, or, or what's your competitive strength? Uh,
1: you know, if you look at our company, I mean, we're, when you're licensing a design, you're competing with your customer's engineering team, right? So we don't win on price. We, we win on capability and, and the performance of the designs that we deliver. And, you know, our kind of bread and butter is leveraging a software platform that we developed ourselves that is a multi-physics-based acoustic modeling tool. It allows us to do very complicated designs very repeatedly, very fast. And that allows us to do, um, you know, cutting edge designs, leveraging the capabilities of our partners, but doing it in such a fashion that we can do designs uh, that they might not be able to do themselves. And so that by working with us, you know, the old adage, one plus one equals more than two, that's what we hope to deliver.
0: So about a year ago when you were on, I would have categorized you, as, rightly or wrongly, as late-stage development. How would you, um, how would you uh, categorize that now? Yeah, I, would, I think you had it
1: correctly categorized at that point in time. Late-stage development, validation of a business model was kind of where we were. Um, I think since then, we have had some major validation points, not the least of which is early design started to uh, convert into production. Um, we've been hitting our quarterly milestones uh, from a growing royalty unit volumes and growing royalty revenues perspective, um, and that has continued uh, since we talked a year ago. But probably the biggest thing is the validation of our 5G technology, which is our kind of our current anchor platform on a go-forward basis. Um, And we signed a contract with the world's largest filter manufacturer. uh, And as a result, that validated the technology in and of itself, put a stake in the ground as a stepping-off point, and now we're in the process of ramping that technology with them to be in a position to start delivering it into the marketplace in late 21, early 22. Um, that validation came in two pieces. One, a strategic investment by that company in Resonant. Uh, they invested $7 million. And then they signed a licensing agreement for four designs of 5G filters for an additional $9 million. And we're currently working through that contract to be able to capture those prepaid royalties. Um, the first royalty payment uh, happened when we signed the contract for $2 million. And we most recently in the last quarter announced that we'd hit the first major technical milestone where we validated the technology, its manufacturability, and early stages of reliability as well. So major milestone. We're now into the manufacturing phase of the development of this contract, and uh, we're doing it with the company that we believe will ultimately dominate 5G uh, on a go-forward basis.
0: And that investor-slash-partner uh, is Murata, is that
1: correct? Correct, correct. And, and
0: um, so what we, does tend
1: he not do, you? we tend to not talk about them uh, – excuse me. We tend not to talk about them by name often, um, and that's just my legacy. You tend to not want to talk about who your customers are when you're in a licensing business or in a strategic part sale business because your customers want their anonymity. Um, in this case, because Murata's an investor – uh we've been allowed to talk about them and and they approve our press releases when we do talk about them
0: okay, okay. Can, can you tell me what um from their perspective, what they saw on you why they why they did this?
1: Yeah, well, I can't speak for them directly, but I can reiterate things that they put in their press release um you know, we did a press release that they approved, but they ultimately did their own press releases on the dK. And they basically saw the XBAR technology as a way for them to deliver on the promise of true 5G, which is wide bandwidth and high frequency with great power durability. Um, they had some internal technology, but they felt that this technology, our XBAR technology, uh, was better suited for the high-frequency applications demanded by 5G. And in their press release, they, they talked about us being their solution for 5G and millimeter width. So we're very excited about it. We think this is a, a, a tremendous opportunity to partner with a dominant player. I mean, 35% market share uh, roughly uh, in duplexers and filters. Um, you know, it's a little bit, uh, I think it's between 33 and 37%, depending on the category, but clearly a dominant provider. And they're bigger than the next two largest players combined. So when you talk about the RF filter space, well, they don't toot their own horn very often, they are absolutely the biggest player in the, in the market.
0: Okay. And then you've already hit a, a milestone with them. So uh, what, what's next towards com- commercialization?
1: Well, you know, as noted in the press release, the big thing now is the manufacturing phase. Um, when we license technologies to our partners, we tend to work with them to develop the manufacturing process on their own lines so they can capitalize on their manufacturing prowess and not be dependent on third parties to deliver these solutions. So they are in that manufacturing phase now. Um, I can tell you that uh, given their schedule and and, and what they announced that they hope to be in a position to ramp at the end of 2021, early 22, you know, they're headlong into it and uh, investing accordingly. Um, so we believe this is going to put us in a very good position uh, as we go out of the end of 2021. And most importantly, it looks like it will put us in a very good position to expand the footprint we have with them uh, into other devices beyond before.
0: And your designs are protected IP or just trade secret? Uh,
1: a combination of both. Um, uh, it's a great point. I mean, we have over 250 patents filed and issued, over 90 of which are in the 5G space. Uh, and so we, we, we use that as kind of the anchor tenant, but obviously we leverage trade secrets as well pretty heavily, in particular in the area of our software. Uh, this multi-physics tool that allows us to 3D model these very complex designs um, is really what sets us apart uh, from, from other players in the industry.
0: So, in terms of revenue model, are you going to be licensing designs or selling product?
1: You know, our business model has has matured since I joined the company in 2016. In 2016, we had no customers. We barely knew, you know, we, we had very good ideas about what we wanted to be doing, but we hadn't done it yet. Um, we wanted to be in a position to license designs to companies, and so we very aggressively pursued customers and were able to get over 10 customers signed up with over 80 designs under contract, all in the 3G, 4G, Wi-Fi, and GPS areas. Um, that happens to be a segment of the market that is commoditizing and, and where we, as a newcomer, we had to convince customers to trust our ability before we would ever showed them that we could do a part Uh, to do these very complex designs. And we were very successful doing that, but it was at a time in in a segment of the marketplace that's rapidly commoditizing. Uh, We've morphed that segment of our business to standard products, so we now have a standard product library that customers that need those kinds of designs, we can take a design off the shelf and port it to either their foundry or one of our foundry partners and do that very efficiently. But with the new technologies, these 5G designs, These are designs that we're actually developing the products against a multitude of foundries that we've already characterized, that we pay for, so that we can actually deliver working samples to our customers for them to validate what it is that we're doing and shorten the overall integration cycle. But at the end of the day, we intend to license these designs to our customers and transfer them the ability to manufacture those products or allow them to manufacture products against our qualified foundries and our foundry program. a little bit different. It really is a little bit more mature. Um, it definitely shortens the time to revenue opportunity. Um, and when this is, you know, kind of the next generation cutting-edge technology, the ASPs tend to be very good. So we're, we're excited about the space that we're at. We have a nice blended revenue model, historical legacy business. It's all royalty-based. Um, now we have a combination of three different prepaid royalty programs that we're working today actively, fully paid up royalties, which is where we get a big chunk of dough for doing a design and it's a one and done. Uh, we estimate the market size. We estimate the life of the product. Uh, we estimate the ASPs and then we ask for a prepaid royalty in exchange for a discount off of our standard royalty rate, but we get our money up front and it. it not dependent on the volumes of the customer' ships, then we have a program where two different buy down programs one, uh, they buy down royalty rates from our standard ten uh, percent royalty rate to some royalty rate below that, depending on the amount of the upfront and the amount of the royalty that they will be paying on a per unit basis once they start shipping products and kind of the middle ground is where they pay us a, a a larger sum up front, but, uh, they don't have to start paying us royalties again until they hit a minimum hurdle rate or a minimum unit volume. Uh, three different schemes, uh, all of which are royalty based, all of which are, have a basis in an expectation of unit volumes, uh, and all based off the backs of, uh, some very, very strong IP. So, uh, it's something we've been able to do today. Um, we did it successfully with, uh, with Murata and we expect to do that uh, with other customers as well.
0: So it sounds like it's better than, I mean, do I look at margin-wise, do I look at it as just a royalty, you know, better than a software margin or or is there a range or how do I look at the margins?
1: Well, margins are, you know, you don't have any uh, variable, uh, additional variable costs, right? Um, So that's the nice thing about royalty models is uh, you have, you know, once you once you basically cover your costs, everything drops to the bottom. That's 100%. And for us, for us, it's you know ninety plus percent margins, right? Okay. So we like that model. Um, royalties are a little bit lower. Uh, they are, you know, we had pretty lofty royalty rates of between seven and fifteen percent. You know, our average royalty rate on our eighty devices under contract was about nine percent. Uh, you, When you take all your money up front and you take out all of that variability and just make it very predictable, like what we did with Morata, you know, royalties are more in the 5% range uh, uh, than they are those higher rates. Um, but we have for money, and it's completely predictable. Uh, the only thing that goes into the revenue recognition model is what we have to comply with under uh, ASC 606 from a REVREC perspective.
0: And, and so who are these customers? If you can't name names, then just generically. So uh, we have,
1: you know, if you look at, well, I can talk about who the, the target customer universe is, obviously. When you, when you look at the companies that represent 98% of the total market, obviously Murata's at the top of that heap. You have Qualcomm. You have Corvo. You have Skyworks. You have uh, Broadcom. You have Pio and You have Weissall. That's the big seven. Uh, Those are the guys that really matter. And then you have everybody else. Um, When it comes to 4G and some of the legacy technologies, uh, you're seeing a big transition away from the dominant uh, inherently U.S.-based suppliers to more localized suppliers. So for us, we leverage our standard product portfolio and our foundry program And we're working with some of the largest foundries in China to help them deliver our filters into the marketplace and support the Chinese customer base. So that is kind of a a standard product portfolio, allows us to be very competitive and to help guys get in the marketplace very quickly.
0: So Murata does not have an exclusive, is that correct?
1: Murata has an exclusive for our XBAR technology into mobile until March 2022. So, about 16 months from now, uh, they do not have an exclusive in all of the other segments of our business, which includes 4G, 3G, and 2G devices, GPS, Wi Fi, uh, you know, uh, uh, leveraging the older technologies. When it comes to XBAR, we have the ability to sell into all non mobile applications our XBAR technology, which is why we've been actively promoting and sampling our. Uh, five, six, and six E-based Wi-Fi solutions in the market. Okay.
0: And, and what's the biggest challenge in, in moving this forward?
1: Biggest challenge. Um, great question. Well, one, the market is while well, everybody's talking about five G and that it's here, and I mean you see all the commercials, we all do, um, and as you look at that and look at what the, you know, what you perceive the opportunity is, is, you know, you think you'd go out and buy a brand new phone and you're going to be operating at full 5G capability, download your movies at, you know, high-def movies in 20 seconds. Well, that reality is not here yet. Uh, That's a couple years away. Today we've got, you know, we've got the big three carriers, um, at obviously, the dominant player in high-speed 4G LTE. Uh, you've got T-Mobile that's got a great coverage map with 5G, probably, probably got the best coverage. And then you've got the highest speed solutions coming from Verizon, but only in isolated markets. Uh, and then you're going to have all the custom applications being done for the enterprise off of the backs of 5G. Um, I think the biggest thing right now is it's, I mean, there's a lot of talk. It's just, you know, it's not there quite yet.
0: Gotcha. So so 5G is going to be a big uh, growth driver, but I'm not completely understanding why. Is it because everybody has to do something new or because your technology is really optimized for that? Yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> Both of those. I think one, clearly, you know, as you look at the, the application set, uh, for five g it is you know nominally you know minimum ten percent bandwidth uh, at high frequency and the challenge that existing technologies have is you know the aluminum nitride B structures uh, natively don't operate at these high frequencies with with these wide bandwidths. Um, so all of the major dominant players today. Broadcom, obviously the big kahuna and BAW with their FR technology. You've got Corvo. um, Then you've got, you know, obviously Skyworks and and Qualcomm have solutions uh, uh, using aluminum nitride BAW. But those solutions aren't, you know, natively capable of doing these high frequencies at wide bandwidth. So they have to do extraordinary things to them, like adding doping um, uh, with scandium to get uh, the wider bandwidth, or use external inductors or subbanding, which is what uh, most of them are doing, to take two subbanded filters, com- use a combining network to combine it to get to these wider bandwidths to meet the application requirements. The challenge there is, you know, uh, with all this extra effort comes extra cost and potential challenges to reliability and quality. Um, we have a solution that we designed from the ground up to meet the application requirements of 5G. And we did it not using an aluminum nitride uh, structure. We did it with lithium niobate, which from a physics perspective has uh, some inherent capabilities that give it uh, a native capability to deliver these 10% plus bandwidth. You know, and we're seeing upwards of 23% bandwidth for some of our Wi-Fi, high-frequency Wi-Fi solutions targeted at Wi-Fi 6E. So um, I think for us, it's two things. One, this is where the market's going. Obviously, people want to be able to download a high-definition movie in 20 seconds rather than it be 20 minutes. Uh, We want autonomous driving in our cars. Um, we, We want very low latency because... If you're letting the car drive itself, uh, you want the, that communication scheme to be very with very low latency because at 60 miles an hour, you're moving really fast, and you don't want to have that filter not, uh, you know, not reacting uh, in a timely enough fashion. Um, I, I was talking to a guy the other day. He was thinking, well, I think the most uh, important low latency application is, you know, in arena gaming. Well, you can see where that would be a big deal, too. If you're placing bets, you want to make sure that you've got a very low latency network so that uh, you, can, you can manage your money very effectively. Um, but those things are, are great ideas, um, and they're coming, uh, whether it's those that I just described or it's, you know, uh, high-volume manufacturing facilities using robotics, whether it's robotic surgery. Those are all delivered on the promise of 5G, and I think that we'll start seeing those in earnest, you know, here a couple of years from now. Today it's all about coverage. Now, let's get the coverage map in. Let's start building up the networks. Let's, let's start adding capabilities there. And as, uh, as we see these capabilities grow and the components in these phones get better, um, I see we're going to be able to really deliver on the promise. And the nice thing about it, this is at the front end of the lifecycle curve. We're still in the hype cycle. Of uh, the product lifecycle curve here, so we're a long way from, you know, ASP declines. We're we're at the point right now where, uh, you know, you're gonna get the highest ASPs you're gonna see in this space probably now over the course of the next couple of years. So, it's a great it's a great time to be in the position that we're in. We made the right bets two years ago, um, you know, and got lucky. You know, sometimes you just gotta you know keep your head down and keep focused leverage the tools that you have and hope you get a little bit lucky and i
0: think we got lucky here very good so as we look out over the next year um you know are we going to see commercialization or what are some of the catalysts or events to watch for
1: you know i think there's a couple of big ones right um clearly our legacy business is going to continue to grow um we we've I, I think Marty has five quarters of consecutively, you know, being able to give guidance and meet or beat that guidance. Um, that's, we're in a unique spot, you know, considering COVID. I mean, now we're managing, you know, things that are much smaller than the, some of the big guys are. Um, but still, we're able to be predictable. And I think that that is should be key for investors is the level of predictability that we have and that we've maintained. You know, some of our peers in the space, uh, space have walked away from giving guidance. uh, so I that it's way too unpredictable right now. And I would say, hey, you know what? With the relationships that we have uh, and the contracts we have, the fact that they are meaningful agreements with real companies, um, we're able to give, you know, pretty good guidance to uh, the customer base. Um, then from there, I think that uh, the next thing will be the expansion of our uh, footprint with our XBAR technology uh, into the Wi-Fi and other non-mobile segments. I think you'll see that we'll start contracting in those areas in the first half of next year. Uh, I think you'll see expansion of our our current contractual relationships with our current XBAR customers. And then, obviously, I think we'll see – some of our standard product business out of China and the China uh, boundary partners that we have uh, really started coming to pass and started seeing those things start ramping into production second half of the year next year. So lots of great stuff happening next year, for sure.
0: So before we go, anything else you want to leave us with or anything I failed to ask?
1: You know, I think the big thing is, is, you know, we've done a lot of work and I would really recommend to any of the, and if listeners listening to this, if they want to learn about 5G, we've got a couple of great webinars on our, on our website that um, we're, were hosted by some key guys in the industry and, and basically we conducted these with our advisory board. We have some of the best guys in the industry from some of the biggest companies out there, companies like Apple, Skyworks, Corvo, Qualcomm, Broadcom. Uh, all guys on our advisory board, all actively participating with us in strategy and execution, and all willing to put their name to what it is that we're doing. Um, I think this is an exciting time, and I think this is an exciting time for guys to get involved. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a very good 2021 and early part of 22. Exciting time
0: to be involved. Well thanks for taking the time and sharing the story. I appreciate it. Well thank you very much. you have a great-